Well, good morning, everybody. Um, since Pastor Stoffer used to start off with a silent prayer, I always kind of like that idea, so I'd like to do that, too, if you want to just bow your heads for a silent prayer. Amen. I don't know if any of you guys that have ever been up here ever had a dream during the week about being up here. Well, it happened to me, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> I mean, first of all, I was singing with, uh, three, with two other guys, and none of us brought our music, and then finally one of us did, but we couldn't read it, so we were like sing, singing three different songs. And by the time I finally got up here to speak, it was quarter after 12, so there's only six of you out there at the time, so we just, well, so it's, it, it should be turned out a little better than my dream. I, so what, what is the most watched TV event in the U.S. every year? Super Bowl, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's gotten very popular. Um, there's parties and the... Um, People really get intense, especially the fans of the teams that are involved. Uh, just a little question here. If you're a fan of the Texans, Browns, Lions, or Jaguars, what have you never done? What have you have in common? You've never watched your team in the Super Bowl. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> I, I promise you, next time I'm here, I will not pick on the Lions. I didn't say anything about your other teams, though. Well, yeah, the, <clears throat> the Super Bowl has become extremely popular throughout the world, and uh, it actually started out as a big controversy. Which team was better, the old established NFL, which started in 1920, or the young upstart AFL from 1960? You know, if you think of it, there's another controversy involving two different groups or two different teams, God's team versus the evil team. We refer that to as the great controversy, and it's simply a battle of good versus evil that started up in heaven. We've learned from reading Revelation 12, 7 through 9, how Lucifer was proud, how he fought against Michael, how he lost, and he was thrown down to earth. In our first few chapters of Genesis, it describes a paradise, a loving God and happy people. But our current world, it shows evidence of things a little different than that, doesn't it? It shows something else. There's trouble everywhere. Well, in Genesis 3, it tells of the fall of man and the battle here that has been going on of good versus evil since. Throughout history, there have been count countless attacks of the evil team versus God's team. You know, what has been their best tactic? Has it been when the armies are, you know, militarily? Yeah, they've had some short-term short success with that, but the net effect when they've done that is oftentimes more people end up getting closer to God. The biggest success the evil team had is when they fed the flesh of man, when they built up his pride, fed his lust, fueled his anger, and ignited his jealousy. When evil has worked those tactics, they have had success in Old Testament times, and they still do today. Great men of the Bible like Samson and David and Solomon and even Moses, they have stumbled when they've been attacked this way. Now, if the great controversy were a football game, what part of the game would be in right now? Yeah, 
There we go. <laughs> we would be in the final two minutes. At least that's in, in, in my story here today. We're in the final two minutes. And when would that have started? Probably around. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. 1844. Yes. <laughs> Rob's a comedian back there today. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I mean, just, just for you football fans, just a thought. Why do we even have a two-minute warning anyway? I mean, it's something that's so archaic nowadays, you know, just... It started when the referee had his official game, the time clock on his wrist or in his pocket. You know, he'd come over and tell the coaches there's two minutes left in the half. But, you know, with the big stadium clocks, other than for commercial time, there really is no reason for it. But anyway, in, in the last two minutes of the game, things happen. They really in, things really intensify. The players play with a sense of urgency, and the fans really become intense. And God has told us that things would happen in the last two minutes here on earth as well. Socially, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 6 says that men will be lovers of self and money, boasters, proud, disobedient, unloving, unforgiving, traitors, headstrong, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Environmentally, Matthew 24, 7 tells us there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Does this describe what's happening now? I mean, are there famines, pestilence, and earthquakes? Are men lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God? A legal one, he knows the Bible, and he knows the signs, and he knows what God has said. So right now, he's doubling down on his efforts to deceive. He wants to receive worship, and he wants to destroy. One item that God has warned us about is false prophets. Well, in an effort to deceive many, what has the evil one done? He has raised up a tremendous amount of false prophets, has he not? Matthew 24:11 tells us many false prophets will rise up. Matthew 24:24 24, 24 says false Christ and false prophets will rise up. Matthew 7:15 tells us to beware of false prophets. A couple notable pro- notable false prophets that have risen up in the last years have been Jim Jones of the People's Temple. Now he started that in the 1950s. And he was playing off the fear of nuclear war. He predicted that the end would come in nuclear war, but he developed a theory called translation, that if all his followers would die at once, they would be moved to another planet. Well, his followers did all die at once when they drank some cyanide-laced punch back in 1978. They all died in a mass suicide. A little more recently, Marshall Applewhite was a leader of a cult named Heaven's Gate, and his theory was that following the Hillbop comet, which returned in, in uh, 1997, there was an alien spaceship following behind it, and it was going to take their spirits to another planet if they all died in a mass suicide. Well, that's exactly what they did. Now, these cults, they, they prey on people, sometimes people that lack Bible knowledge. I mean, we can see in the two groups above that they didn't understand what happens when you die or they prey on the naive, or people coming out of unstable conditions. Another warning that God has given for the last two minutes regards the time and hour of the second coming. Matthew 24:36 tells us the day and hour we do not know. Matthew 24:44 44 
tells us that we must be ready because the time is unexpected. And Matthew 25, 13 tells us to keep watch because the time is unknown. Well, just what did the evil one do? He raised up men to deceive, just as predicted. Books were written proclaiming the second coming in 1978, 82, 88, 89, 90, 96, 99, 2000, 2007. Even some well-respected men like Hal Lindsey and Pat Robertson have written numerous books claiming to know the end. They figured out when the end was coming a couple times. Even the manner of his coming has been adjusted by many to fit their theories. Instead of 1 Corinthians 15.52, where it says we'll have the sound of a trumpet, or 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where it tells us the Lord will descend with a shout, with the trumpet of God, and Revelation 1.7, where it says every eye will see him, we get theories of a coming secret rapture to take the believers. Now, why would these false time prophets, false manner prophets, and false prophet prophets be coming at such regularity at this time? Well, it's all part of the evil one's attempt to deceive, to make people become careless, to let down their guard, and to not know the signs. In 1995, U.S. military pilot Scott Grady, he was shot down over Bosnia. For six days, he hid, he ate bugs, he drank rainwater, and he covered his face in mud. The enemy came within feet of where he was hiding. He started to think, will they ever come for me? Will his... Will his friends ever find him? Well, that's the plan of the evil one. All his deceptions, he wants people to become discouraged so they're not focused, so they wonder and doubt about the second coming because he knows there's one thing that he has no defense for. He knows what will happen at this time. He knows what's going to happen to him and his followers. And he's pulling everything he has right now to deceive and discourage. But as expected... God does not sit idly by. He raises up an end-time people with a message to preach to the whole world. That message many of you, many of you know from Revelation 14, 6 through 10. In verse 6, it tells us an angel is coming with a message of an everlasting gospel to give to all who dwell on the earth. In verse 7, it says that angel is saying with a loud voice to worship him who made the heaven, the earth, for the judgment is coming, and we need to worship him. Let me back up and say that. I read the wrong line there. It's, it's, he's saying with a loud voice to fear God and give him glory, for the judgment is coming, and we need to worship him who made the heavens and earth. Verse 8, we have another angel coming and tells us that Babylon is falling and will make nations follow her. Verse 9 and 10 tell us of a third angel, said that anyone who follows and worships the beast will drink the wine of the wrath of God, poured out full strength, and be tormented with fire and brimstone. This group of end-time followers is instructed to spread, spread God's truth to the entire world. Some of the truths include the Sabbath, the state of the dead, investigative judgment, etc. But as time draws close to an end, the evil one is going to be intensifying things. And he's going to attack and encourage others to change the rules and the laws in an attempt to persecute God's followers. The, the book Great Controversy tells us that right before the end, he even will attempt a second coming, a counterfeit second coming, and try and appear as an earthly, on earth as a holy being claiming to be Christ himself. 
Many people will be deceived at this time, but those who know their Bible know it cannot be, cannot be Christ because they know that Jesus greets his followers in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. But as time gets close to an end, everyone must make a choice. Who will you serve? Matthew 6, 24 says you cannot serve two masters. Just like Joshua and Joshua 24, 15, you must choose for yourself whom you will serve. The door of mercy, it's going to close. Just like the time of Noah, when God closed up the ark and no one else was allowed, no one else will be protected. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, they beautifully describe God's end time play, the play that ends the two-minute warning, Christ's second coming, to receive all those who believe. And the only people left will be the evil one and his angels will remain here on earth, chained up by circumstances throughout the millennium. But just who is on God's team? Some say there are only two groups at the end. But I think there probably are actually three groups now. There are those who love the gospel and those who are committed to God. There are those who hate the gospel and God and those who are somewhat indifferent, either because of ignorance or the fact that they're unwilling to make a commitment. What are the characteristics of God's end-time followers? Earlier, we looked at Revelation 14, 6 through 10. We see what happens to those who follow the evil one, how they're tormented with fire and brimstone. But if we continue down a little farther in verse 12, it states, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That word patience, it can also be translated as steadfastness. The end-time followers keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus, and they do not waver. One meaning for keep can be translated as to bear, and that is also a good description of what will happen. I mean, it can be tough right now to keep the commandments, but once persecution and pressure are applied, it's going to be even harder, but we must. We need to keep the commandments out of love, like the love of a child for his parents when they want to obey the parents. You know, they, they, they love them and obey because of that. Now, does obeying the commandments, does that mean all of them? Or does it mean six, or seven, eight, nine? I think if you really think about it, why would that description be in there if it didn't mean all of them? As for the faith of Jesus, one definition here is of the Greek word is conviction. Well, that's a good description because we cannot be lukewarm. We need to be totally committed in spreading the gospel. We need to be committed to caring for the needy and having kind words and tender regards for others. And must, we must do it out of love and not use the sledgehammer approach. I mean, it might not be best to start telling people about prophecy or who the Antichrist is. I mean, each person has a time when they're willing to, to hear. We, we must build up a relationship. Uh, it reminds me of a story when, when I was a youth, maybe early teens, there was this cat that I built up a relationship with on the farm. It would kind of crawl up on me. It would be really, you know, it would purr. It really had a motor. It would just purr, and it was kind of liked it there. Well, one time it was sleeping on the lawn. Well, I went up to pick it up, and it turned around and scratched me. That was not her time for attention. 
We need to build relationships, and we must continuously show what Jesus witnessed, what Jesus once has described in Matthew 5, 43 to 48, to love thy neighbor and their enemy. I mean, everyone loves those who love them. I mean, this says even the tax collectors do that. In Matthew 25, 31 through 40, Jesus tells us what he wants. There's a series of questions asked there. It says, when did we see you hungry? When did we take you in? In verse 40, the answer comes through loud and loud and true. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. Well, we need to spread that gospel out of brotherly love in all situations. And we need to, and even to use words if necessary. Now is the time to get going because it's going to be getting harder soon. In our scripture, Joshua is basically asking his fellow Israelites, whom do you want to serve? Essentially, he's saying, which team do you want to be on? If we think of it, that's a theme throughout the Bible. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? Now, if your desire is to serve the Lord, we have some work to do. I stated earlier that there are some that already decided to join the Lord's team, and some have decided to join the evil team. But there are many out there who are, I guess in football terminology, they are uncommitted free agents, and we need to give them the information so they can make the right decision. I mean, we don't want them joining the Bears, do we? We want them to join the right team. I have a couple stories here of fellas who were steadfast and they took committing and standing up for God and they bared under very difficult situations. The first one is a fellow by the name of John Harper. And he's described as the Titanic's last hero. He was born to Christian parents in 1872, and at the age of 13, he became a Christian. At the age of 17, he began to preach, and he poured out his soul. He was just consumed with the word of God. He preached on the streets for five to six years, and eventually started his own church, which grew to about 500 members. He was married, but only for a short time because his wife soon died, but not before blessing him with a little girl named Nana. On the night of April 14th, 1912, John Harper and his daughter were aboard the Titanic. On board that night were also many of the rich and famous. At 11.40 p.m., an iceberg scraped the side of the Titanic and opened up six compartments. The sea poured in. John Harper immediately took his daughter to the lifeboats. He bent down beside her, kissed her, and said goodbye. Then he turned towards the mass of desperate humanity that was coming towards him. Seeing selfish acts that night was not hard. An American banker got his pet dog placed on a lifeboat. Of the 712 people saved, 189 were crewmen. John Jacob Astor, the richest man in the world, tried to buy his way onto a lifeboat. One man dressed up as a woman to get on the lifeboat. One of the ship's owners, Bruce Ismay, He was the man responsible for not having left lifeboats. He crawled into one of the lifeboats and left women behind. The ship's captain was heard calling out to his men, do your best for the women and children and look out for yourself. At the same time, John Harper was replying, 
Do your best for the women and children and watch out for others. As the ship was beginning to tip up, Harper was hollering for women, children, and the unsaved into the lifeboats. Soon the Titanic split in two, and people jumped off the decks into the icy water. John Harper was one of them. 1,528 people went into the water that night, and John Harper was seen swimming person to person, trying to lead people to Christ. As he approached one young man, he asked him if he was saved. He replied, no. Harper tried, but the young man was not interested. With this, Harper threw him his life jacket and said, well, you will need this more than I do. And he swam around to others, but in a few minutes later, he swam back to the young man and led him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water, six were rescued by lifeboats. One of them was this young man. Four years later, at a survivor meeting, he stood up with tears streaming down his cheeks and recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. After that, how Harper swam around trying to help others until he became too weak to swim. And his last words before going under were, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. This servant of God, he did what he had to do to help others. We will probably not face those same harsh conditions that he did, but we need to still exhibit that faith of Jesus to others. It states in Hebrews 12.1 that we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. That race is to spread his word, to spread that three angels' message. And we need to do it, and we need to stand up for Jesus. Just as our opening song stated, that hymn was written by a man named George Dufield. But the inspiration to that, was a, was a, was to that hymn was Reverend Dudley Tyne. He was a man who truly would stand up for Jesus. He said some things that were unpopular, including denouncing slavery in the 1850s. In March of 1858, he told a group of 5,000 men that he must tell his master's errand, and he'd rather his right arm be amputated at the trunk than to fall short of the duty of delivering God's message. The very next week, his right arm was caught in a farm machinery accident. With medicine not the same back then as it is now, he needed an amputation. He realized he was dying in the hospital bed, and he grabbed his father's hand. His father was also a minister, and he addressed him, Stand up for Jesus, Father. Stand up for Jesus. And tell my brethren of the ministry, wherever you meet them, to stand up for Jesus. Back to our opening scripture, it asks the question of whom do you wish to serve? Whom do you wish to stand with and to stand up for? Which team do you wish to be on? In this struggle here of good versus evil, I know which one I want to serve. I know which team I want to be on. I know, I want to, I know who I want to stand up with and for. My hope is that you do as well, so that we can all run the race with endurance, Till that glorious day when the roll is called up yonder. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, all the blessings that you've given us. We thank you for the awesome message and your responsibility you've given us of presenting the three angels' message. Give us the courage and the strength we need to run the race, to keep the faith so that we may not become discouraged, so that we may be witnesses to all we meet. 
And, Lord, we look forward to that day when the trumpet sounds. We thank you, Lord, and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.